Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. One of my jokes is I used to hunt, and now I just podcast about it. Like, and it's pretty friggin' true. Like, I look forward to this year, and I'm like, man, what is gonna happen? What is what's gonna be that story? You know, am I gonna get chased by a bear? And like, I always look back on years past. Like, my my best memories, best stories are these adventures. And uh, I was force fed uh, Bugle magazine since I think that's literally how I learned to read. There's gonna be times where you're like, this sucks. This is not fun. I think everyone in the world should have to solo hunt 10 days in the, in the backcountry. Nothing tells you who you are like that. Don't like having stumble in the night trying to pee and there's a grizz, you know, between your tent. Like if I had the same bugle repetitively, it doesn't, it's like talking to Siri. You know what I mean? Like Siri has no emotion. You have everything you need to, like, you don't need anything special to just go do it slowly. Like it took me 20 years to have the gear I have. I always, I always use the car example. And uh, it's like when you're a kid, if, if someone gave you a car, like you don't appreciate that car nearly as much as if you had to work for it. Hey guys, this is Cody Rich from the Rich Outdoors podcast, and you are listening to Living Country in the City, episode 33. Y'all ready for your dose of flyover state spirit? Straight from the concrete jungle? Well, put down your latte and pull on your boots. It's time for Living Country in the City. Hey y'all, welcome to episode 33 of Living Country in the City. You know, it's officially that time of year. I know a lot of y'all are already out in the high country, and many of you are, like me, in the final moments of preparation before leaving for your hunts. So, I wanted to do an episode on final tips and tactics that y'all might need to know before you hit elk camp. And I figured, who better to have on than the host of one of my absolute go-to podcasts when it comes to quality, informative hunting content. Cody Rich of the Rich Outdoors podcast. Now, if y'all aren't subscribing to the Rich Outdoors, you absolutely need to be doing so. Cody is a complete beast when it comes to releasing new episodes. He drops new content three times a week, and my personal favorites are the Wapiti Wednesday episodes, which focus solely on elk hunting. I've yet to find a single one that I haven't learned something new from, and so I'm excited to have him on to ask several of my own burning questions, as well as to throw out many of the questions y'all have sent over. 
So Cody, thanks for hopping on the show with me today. All right. Thanks, man, for having me. It's uh, it's cool to be on and to talk with someone that I'm excited for you. I'm almost more excited for you because you're like getting ready to go on your first elk hunt <laughs> and you and I have kind of been chatting and like I'm, I'm super pumped. Like this is going to change your world. I'm like, I kind of feel bad for you. Like this is going to change everything. <laughs> I I can only imagine like because right now it, it is already I haven't even gone out yet and it has already become all I can think about, all I can talk about. I mean, thank thank God for this podcast because, as it is, my coworkers, my friends, you know, my relatives—they're all kind of like, okay, okay, we we understand you're excited about this hunting trip, <laughs> but uh, this at least allows me to get some of that energy out. But uh, I don't know if it's better or worse because, like, you know, doing a podcast, it feels like I talk about hunting all year long. And I think that might be worse because then it's like, you're just so excited about it all the time. And you're like, okay, look at your calendar. Oh, dang, I still have six months. <laughs> still got a long time. I've got this little app on my phone where you, you know, you set, you set a date and you put up a picture and it gives you like a countdown to the seconds of, you know, whatever, you know, whether it's when you leave or, you know, when the season starts or, and it's, that definitely makes it worse because I'll I'll sit sometimes and I've I think the record so far is I've stared at it for a good six or seven minutes straight, just thinking about contemplating, you know that it's two weeks out for me at this point and things like that. So it's, but yeah, it's definitely. So, so not to hijack your own podcast, but this is like inquisitive me. What are your biggest? What's what's the thing you're most excited about, and what's your biggest fear? <sighs> Man, I. I've actually thought a lot about that, and it's it's tough to decide. Honestly, I think probably the thing I'm most excited about is hearing my first elk bugle. I'm I'm from Los Angeles. I'm born and raised here. You know, I mean, I've I've done some traveling, but I guess two things: hearing, seeing my first elk, and hearing my first elk bugle. Is I've never in my life heard an elk bugle except for YouTube or, you know, some <laughs> some of these DVDs that I buy. And, I and you know, I've never seen one. I saw my first moose just the other week at Total Archery Challenge, or I guess the other month, gosh, at Total Archery Challenge in Snowbird out in Salt Lake City. I uh, yeah. saw a moose for the first time, and I was like, and I, it kind of occurred to me, I'm like, these are like giant mythical creatures that I've been aware of. I know they're real, but I, you know, have never seen them, and I get to... So I think as far as being excited, I'm just seeing my first elk, hearing it bugle, hearing an elk bugle for the first time. I just, I could probably, hey, there's a good chance I could probably go home happy after just that. Not that I will, yeah. but uh, as far as, as far as being nervous about <clears throat> um, the entirety of the hunt, maybe, um, I, uh, I don't know, just wondering if I'm ready, just in general, um, you know, am I, am I good enough shot with my bow? Uh, you know, have I, have I learned enough to really be able to go out there? And cause I'm, I'm going out by myself. This is, uh, you know, there's a slight chance I actually might be bringing my nephew out with me, but, uh, for the most part, this is a solo hunt and, you know, I'm I'm kind of going out there to some extent. You know, I've done as much research as I can, but I'm like, did I do this right? Did I, you know, yeah. it, I just I just am you know worried. I'm like, am I actually ready for this? Um, mm -hmm. And I know a lot of it is I can just kind of take it one step at a time, and you know, do as much as I can, and that's all I can expect. But 
you know, I also want to go out there and be successful. And so it's, it's stressful trying to figure out, you know, what, it, what have I forgotten? What, it, what do I need to work on more? You know, all of that kind of, kind of good stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's tough because like, I, like a lot of solo hunting and without any experience to fall back on, it's really, it's going to be the hardest part. The hardest part you're going to have is, is staying calm. You're, what's going to happen is you, you'll probably find some elk and then you're going to go through a lull and you, and you won't be able to find elk. And you're going to be like, am I like, am I in the wrong spot? Am I doing the wrong thing? What am I supposed to do? Like, just can't find elk. I can't, I don't know what to do. And without having something to fall back on, that's where people get inside their own head and fail. And what's going to happen, you know, what's going to happen is you're going to get inside your own head and be like, oh, there's no elk here. You know, I, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how to do that. The thing is, is like when you get there, all the things that you had in front of you, maps, information, it's all gone. And you like the human brain tends to forget and then we, we tend to like fall back on worst case scenarios. And what's going to happen is you go through this, like where you start to self, you have this self doubt. And then once this doubt kicks in, you're like, oh man, I don't know where, you know, what I'm doing or where I'm at. Like I'm not, and then I'm not good enough to do this. What the heck am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. This sucks. It isn't fun. Like there's going to be times where you're like, this sucks. This is not fun. And like experience and confidence gets you through that. But without that coming into it, it's tough. So that my only advice is just know that that's going to happen and be ready for it and be like, okay, Cody said, this is going to (laughs) suck. This is going to not be fun. And like, you just have to be like, okay, I need to, I want to take it one step at a time. I want to hear my first bugle. I want to see my first elk and I want to get a bull within a hundred yards. Like those are great goals to have for that trip. Because once you have that, say you get that in the first three days, it's a complete success. And now you don't have to fall back on failure. So now everything above that is just gravy. You know what I mean? And like, so you're like, okay, I did this before I got within a hundred yards of an elk. Like that's a challenge. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. That's a challenge. And once you get that, like you build that confidence. And so then going in through the lulls, so you get to day five and you haven't seen an elk in three days. It's like, okay, I did this once I can do it again. And then just keep moving forward from there. That's I, I would just caution people who are like first time elk hunters to not set their goals too high. And I don't think everyone wants to be successful. You're like, shit, I spent so much money on this tag and you know, I gotta be successful. But like, if you can block that out, that's, that's where it'll help a lot in those struggles. Yeah. That's, that's one thing I've actually talked with a few people about here on is, is defining success when it comes to a hunt. It's, I think it's, I've, you know, I, I definitely slip into those moments where I'm like, you know, I, I watch the videos and I see the pictures I'm like, and I, I start thinking like, oh man, wouldn't it be cool, you know, if, you know, if I, if I got that, you know, giant bowl or whatever it was, you know, and, um, and then I have to remind myself, you know, I'm like, keep, keep my goals, not, I, I don't even like saying keep my goals small. That doesn't, that doesn't sound right, but, but keep them, you know, cause you always want to, you always want to shoot for, shoot for the best, but, you know, make my measure of success, something attainable and, and take it one step at a time. And, um, that's something I've definitely talked with a lot of people about. And honestly, even for this first trip, like you said, you know, just hearing, hearing that first bugle and seeing that, seeing that first elk is, is going to be a huge success. And, and one of my, one of my goals has always been, make sure just to stay out. You know, if I can, 
if I can be out there and and be pushing the entire time, regardless of of what I see, what I do, what I take, if I'm out there the whole time pushing and I don't quit, don't give up, don't you know, just kind of you know half it uh, one day because I'm tired or because I'm just discouraged. That's going to be a success for me, I think. And, uh, and I think it's like pulling from opposite directions. And it's it's a matter of knowing, like having the confidence and knowing that everything you've done, everything you've learned, it has the ability to kill that, that herd bull. Like, so going at it, like I'm going after this herd bull. I am good enough to chase this herd bull. And yet having the humility to say that, you know, I got within 100 yards of an elk. That's awesome. Like I'm one step closer. And I think anything you do, and I think if you look at it as always getting better, instead of trying to find and trying to find that rogue success of a big six point walks by you. I mean, we all dream of a 350 bull walking by and I shoot it 10 yards, four feet from the pickup, but and like <laughs> I'm going to take it every single time. But the reality is if you look at it, like, okay, elk hunting is something I'm going to do for the next 20 years. And I want to continually get better at it and, you know, have that success then how do I do that and how do I work at it? And I think that makes it easier instead of trying to like, oh, killing, if you register as killing an elk is successful, then you're, are you getting better or worse? You know, how it happens and things like that. So I, I 100% agree. Like, man, this is going to be an awesome trip. I'm so pumped for you and it's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, but I do think like, you know, chase that herbal, have, have confidence to chase herbals because you will learn more. And you'll become a better elk hunter and in 10 years and five years from now, you'll be a better hunter, but, but also have the humility to know that if you get within a hundred yards of an elk, that's awesome. You know, like feel, feel good about that. No, I'm definitely, I, I, I just can't wait. I can't, I can't <laughs> handle it. I, it's, it's to the point where I can't even describe to people, you know, I've got a lot of people, you know, a lot of the people I've talked to on the podcast and, uh, who've just kind of become friends and, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of other folks, just even non-hunters that are like friends at work who are kind of excited, who are super excited for me. They're all reaching out. And, and like you said, they're, they're almost more excited for me than I am because oh, yeah. they, I think they, everyone remembers like their first time getting to, getting to do something like this. And they're just caught, they're like, when do you leave? You know, when do you leave? I'm getting like so many messages. It's, it's the greatest thing. Like, when does your trip start? Um, and it's, are you, are you like videoing this or like vlogging this of some kind? You have to, I'm, oh, I absolutely, I'm taking, uh, I'm taking out a couple of GoPros, you know, I'm not, not going crazy with the, with the, the filming equipment, mostly, mostly because I think the GoPros are going to be complicated enough for me to try and do yeah. with, with everything else I'm trying to remember. Uh, but I got a couple that I'm taking out and then I'm taking, uh, taking my field recorder with me. And so, awesome. um, I'm just going to anytime, you know, if I'm sitting in glassing or if I'm, you know, in the morning as I'm, you know, waiting for my jet boil to heat up or, you know, the evening as I'm kind of winding down, I'm just, you know, spend a little bit of time talking into the recorder, talking about the day, you know, everything I did and um, thoughts, emotions, all that good stuff, all of that, you know, from literally from the time I'm driving out, uh, driving out to Idaho and all the way till when I'm driving back, I, I just want to record as much as I possibly can. Um, you know, and either turn that into a podcast, use it as a voiceover for the video, or just if nothing else is like something to remember this whole, this whole piece by. So I, uh, dude, just doc, just documenting the journey is like so awesome. And like, I, 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 I can't wait to hear it. Cause like, 
I don't get that first time anymore. And this is why so many people are excited for you. And I think you documenting the journey, like just your podcast in general, you're documenting your journey to become a hunter, which is so much more valuable than me talking to other people. You know, I've done it. And so it's, it's really cool that what you're doing. And I think that's going to be awesome to see that first hunt, the emotions, <laughs> the highs and lows. Like I always joke about like when you look forward towards season and you know, like seasons here and you, you think about like all the crazy stuff that's going to happen, you know? And like, I always look back on years past, like my, my best memories, best stories are these adventures. This is what it's about for me. Like it's about the crazy that happens. I don't know if I can say it on your podcast, but <laughs> the crazy <laughs> stuff that happens. And it's like, I look forward to this year and I'm like, man, what is going to happen? What is, what's going to be that story? You know, am I going to get chased by a bear? Am I going to get, you know, this, or am I going to get snowed out in the middle of nowhere? Like, these are the things that you're excited. Like, I'm excited that crazy stuff is going to happen to me this year. What's it going to be? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's never the, I'm not sure if there's really such thing as an easy hunt, but it's never the easy hunt that you really sit and remember. It's, oh, for sure. It's the one where you struggled and you fell down and you missed, uh, you know, missed a couple of shots, but still got it done. Or, um, you know, those are the stories that everyone tells, you know, they don't talk about the time when they, you know, except for maybe that first year, you know, they don't talk about the time when they heard the bugle, got it done, you know, the second day and, and then went and hung out for <laughs> the rest of the season because their tag was filled oh it's like the perfect example is like um i just got here a couple antelope hunts and my biggest antelope date i sat in a blind for 42 hours that's not a very interesting story <laughs> you know what i mean like it was it was crappy and like i still remember it it was a challenge to myself but it's not a very good story and like the better stories are the time i drove to nevada all night and made you know a bunch made a six-hour stock on an antelope and shot it was my smallest antelope actually so i put a six hour stock on a, on a buck you know and it's my smallest one but way cooler story than my biggest buck where i sat in a blind for 42 hours well you know it, it kind of to some extent and you know everybody hunts their own way and like this is not saying anything bad about any other forms of hunting but there's something more satisfying too about having had to work so hard for something you know oh, anything sure. anything you do you know when when something you know when you're just kind of chilling and it and it comes to you um it's definitely a different experience than when you've spent 3 days you know chasing something and you're you're exhausted and you can barely lift your legs and and all yeah. that good stuff but I always I always use the car example and uh it's like when you're a kid if if someone gave you a car like you don't appreciate that car nearly as much as if you had to work for it now having said that if someone gave me a Ferrari I'm going to take it <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't uh I wouldn't disagree with that thought, but <laughs> um so uh I've got a few questions for you. Uh, I had had some people uh shoot over a few few thoughts on elk hunting and so in honor of your uh, Wapiti Wednesdays, I thought I'd put uh uh put you to the test. Oh boy. <laughs> see what see what you've gotten to learn from from all your all your guests. Um Yeah. But uh, actually, before we get too far into that, uh, I do always like to uh, get a little bit of maybe just uh, history about you, uh, your history with hunting, kind of how you got started in the outdoors. 
yeah, you know, I was super fortunate to be born into a hunting family and it's, it was pretty much all I knew. Um, you know, my dad, my uncles, everyone, big hunters. My dad was, uh, you know, a uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation life member and, and, uh, I was force fed, uh, bugle magazine since I think that's <laughs> literally how I learned to read. Um, but on top of that, you know, my, I, uh, my mom was, uh, a dental assistant. And so she had all these magazines from the dentist's office. And so I literally, like, I was obsessed with hunting since as long as I can remember. And, and people always joke about it. Like, yeah, this makes sense because he was obsessed for a long time. You know, I had like outdoor life and field and stream and I had them cataloged in my room on articles and things like that. And so, yeah, just obsessed from a very early age. I think I started hunting, um, at four is what my mom tells me, um, with my dad, you know, just out back and grew up on a farm. So it was able to, to hunt around the house. And from there, uh, it just progressed, you know, got worse and worse, got into elk hunting and elk calling. And that was a huge passion, got into archery early. And so, I mean, as long as I can remember, I've been trying to chase elk in some way or, the, way or another. So just super fortunate to be born into that family. And I really, I think I took that for granted for a long time. And I, you know, I meet so many people that, um, just coming into hunting or don't even have that ability. Uh, and so, you know, I really am thankful to how, you know, how I got into it and, had a dad that really pushed me into elk hunting and was a big elk hunter. He uh, did a lot more rifle. And I remember when we got into bow hunting, you know, me and my cousins started bow hunting for elk and he thought that was the silliest thing ever because, <laughs> you know, archery equipment, elk are too big and tough for that. Um, but, you know, it progressed and I had cousins that were super into archery and, you know, just followed in their footsteps and kind of progressed from there. And it's, you know, you start hunting out of state and then pretty soon it's a lot more states and then it's two or three tags a year and, and now it's like all I think about. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I haven't even gone on my first hunt yet. And I, you know, I, I started out, uh, I didn't even know backcountry was a thing. You know, I thought it was just everybody hunting from a tree stand. I thought that's how hunting worked. And uh, my buddy, my actually, the uh, the guy I interviewed on my very second podcast, uh, he he got me started on this on this path. I'm, so I'm not sure if I should thank him or blame him. But... <laughs> uh, um. Totally lost uh, lost my train of thought where on earth I was going with this story. But, <laughs> oh, but anyway, but yeah, he got me he got me obsessed with oh that's what it was. He got me obsessed with elk, and I thought like oh man, this is it. This is what uh, what I want to hunt. You know, I, I'm super excited about this. Didn't have any interest in anything else. You know, maybe some deer, bear kind of sounded interesting, and pig just because I'm in California and we can, it's like the only thing we can really re reliably get out here. Yeah. Uh, but the more I, I start talking to people and researching and I'm like, I'm like, oh, crud, I'm really starting to get interested in sheep. Oh, crud, man, that, yeah. this sounds really interesting too. And, and this sounds really interesting. And, oh, did you, I, I can go hunt that. And, and suddenly I'm putting in for a lot more than elk tags now and building points and thinking, what did I get myself into? Exactly. And I think, you know, I'm into elk. A lot of it, I love calling elk. I love elk, uh, everything about them, but a lot of it is with the terrain, you know, if, if you were talking about elk in the, in the flats and stuff, even Arizona doesn't interest me all that much. I love big mountains. You know, a lot of people don't know this, but I used to be a big snowmobiler and, and, um, the mountains are my home. Like you just big mountains. I love it. And so 
a part of me likes to chase elk in big mountains and that's just, you know, it's not the best way to do it. Like you can kill bigger bulls <laughs> in New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada, but I love, you know, something that to me, elk country is Aspen trees. Elk country is big mountains, big canyons and things like that. And so, you know, like you said, everyone has their own hunt and their own reason for doing things. And to me, it's just a great way to get into the mountains and, uh, and I, far more of my great epic stories that revolve around really, really bad situations are because they're in the mountains, you know, and <laughs> snow and rain and all this other stuff. And like, that's what I love about it. Yeah. So that's kind of what drives me. Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'm kind of the same way when I think, when I think about going hunting, when I think about going into the backcountry, it's, it's mountains, it's steep terrain, it's thick timber, it's, that's that's what it is in my mind, you know. It's it's a lot of wildlife. Uh some some always not always so friendly. Um but that actually Which is uh, funny because which is funny cuz like the way you grew up and like you being from LA, like it just blows my mind that you can have an obsession with elk and the mountains and never like it makes sense because I grew up there. Um and I think so many of us did, but it's really cool to see someone who didn't and still has that obsession. Like it just proves that it's like deep within our ingrained in us that, you know, it's, this is what we're supposed to do. And that primal nature kind yeah, of a thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I grew up, I grew up going camping, you know, we would, you know, and, and here in, uh, not too far out of LA, I mean, California is like a ridiculous amount of public land. Like we have a crazy amount of national forest and, and public land. And, uh, so, I mean, I grew up, uh, every year, you know, we'd, We'd drive out to the Sequoia National Forest and we'd go camping and, you know, we'd stay in a cabin and I'd go run around and dig holes to try and make traps for raccoons and squirrels and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember my, my mom and dad buying me this, like, survival handbook. I think I still have it in my bookshelf. It's like, I mean, it's falling apart, but, uh, you know, it teaches you how to make snares and stuff like that. But But it was always a vacation thing. Like, it was not... It was that once a year thing we'd do for vacation, you know, maybe if we were getting wild, I'd go for a weekend camping trip too somewhere, but that, that was it, you know? And, um, and so it's, I always had that love for it, but it was never, I think, fully, fully satisfied. And so yeah. it's, it's, I'm super excited, but, um, so let's, uh, let's look at some of these questions. What do I, what do I got here? Um, Actually, I had a couple people ask. Uh, it's not so much elk hunting related, but uh, they were curious if, and I'm I am too because I've noticed it some with mine. Do you feel because you release a lot of podcast content? I mean, you're releasing three at least three times a week most weeks. It seems like right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you got your Muley Mondays, your Repeaty Wednesdays, and then anything else in between that's uh, that's fun <laughs> and interesting. Um, do you feel like with how, uh, how busy you've gotten with this, does that ever take away from your time in the field, whether it's hunting or scouting or, or, or prepping for the season? Oh, 100%. Like <laughs> one of my, one of my jokes is I used to hunt and now I just podcast about it. Like, and it's pretty friggin' true. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a balancing game or balancing act. And I think I, I will say, now that we're kind of rounding this corner of, of getting organized, you know, we went from one a week, one a week wasn't 
in the beginning, one a week was like it drug out and it was a lot of work. And then slowly in the last six months, as we kind of taken this seriously and wanted to jump on the you know, ball and produce a lot more, it was like, okay, let's jump to three a week. And I think that was tough in the beginning. And uh, yeah, it's tough to get out in the woods when you're doing three podcasts a week. And I think it's just about building the system and, and getting organized and, and trying to uh, manage all of that. And so now I think it's going to be better. You know, I can't say I'm not because this year I'm going to go for 45 days, sir. Or forty something days straight, uh, so I can't really say I don't get in the woods that, that much. <laughs> there, there was definitely like a, a stint where we weren't organized with uh, with a team around it, and uh, so now it's that way. And I, hopefully, everything goes right. We'll be able to get in the woods a little bit this year. <laughs> well, uh, I was told uh, to definitely say thank you uh, from several of these <laughs> folks for sacrificing the the time that you have to uh, bring us all this great content and i would agree with them so thank you the elk also say thank you uh, <laughs> i'm sure the elk don't say thank you <laughs> there's a lot of guys that are like are pissed at me because i ruin elk hunting or give away too many secrets and all that good stuff but you know what i you know to me it's like it's motivating people to get out there i think with anything, you could give away every secret in a book, but it boils down to hard work. And um, the honest truth is that I could tell everyone exactly how to do it. The difference is how bad you want it. And that's mm-hmm. that's the reality. And that's like that talks we talk about that in entrepreneurship. I could give you every secret I have and when it becomes the entrepreneurship, but very few are gonna succeed because it's you gotta want it so bad. You gotta want it just obsessed about it twenty four seven. You've got to be willing to sacrifice a whole lot to, yeah. you know, and I've, that's between doing the podcast and, and prepping for the season, I, I've come to realize that I, yeah. my friends all think I'm dead. Like they just, uh, <laughs> anytime I show up, it's like this look of sheer shock and surprise on their face. Anytime I show Who up. Who is this anything. guy? Exactly. Um, so uh, let's see. What are what are some of these other questions we got? Um, we have a question here. Uh, what challenges should I expect? You've done a lot of solo hunting, and uh, you've done some partner hunting too. Uh, what challenges should I expect solo hunting versus going with a partner? So I think one of the biggest challenges um, self doubt, and you know we all like to we're all big bad tough guys, and you know none of us. <laughs> have self-doubt but hypothetically i know a guy who's been through this situation before and i think that's that's the number one thing is like you start to question yourself when things don't go right and that's you got to stay in or out of your head depending on how you look at it and uh you know i think that on a solo hunt you're, you're gonna go through struggles and you're gonna go through times where you're like you feel like you're not doing it right or don't know what to do or you know, you don't have someone to bounce ideas off of and, uh, it can be tough. And I think that's the biggest problem thing is, uh, not having that someone to pick you up, but the same could be said for, I mean, I've been on hunts with other people that were the exact opposite. And it was like the other person brought you down. And so I was like, man, if I was solo hunting, it'd be easier. So it can go either way. I don't want to make it sound like, you know, hunting with a partner is the greatest thing or hunting solo is the greatest thing. It just depends on the situation. I think a little bit of both is great. I think everyone in the world should have to solo hunt 10 days in the, in the backcountry. Um, nothing tells you who you are like that. I'm, <laughs> I mean, like, it's, it's tough. And so I think it's, it's a great challenge. And I think when you look at it that way and you say, 
you know, like you're going on this hunt, you say, you know, this is a challenge I accept. And it was kind of like the way I looked at it when I was, you know, I don't really have a lot of desire to sit in a blind and hunt antelope, but I just look at it as a challenge. Can I do it? And so when you look at it that way, it changes. And so when you look at this hunt and say, man, this is going to be a huge challenge. Can I do it? Am I capable? You look at it far different than, oh, I'm going to go kill an elk and have fun in the backcountry. Because when it's not fun, then you start to beat yourself up. But if you go on this and look at it like I'm testing myself, then when things get hard, you'll ask yourself that again. And the answer is different. Um, so here is the age old question that I feel like does not actually have an answer, but I would love to get your opinion on it. Um, I go into an area, uh, you know, maybe I hear some elk bugles the first day, maybe not, but suddenly, uh, I just, I'm just not hearing anything. I'm not finding signs, not, not finding elk. How long, how persistent do I stay in a certain area before I, I go to plan B or C or Z at that point? So there's two, two options and it, it depends. Um, there's two answers because it depends on if I'm mobile or if I'm not mobile. So if I pack into the back country and I have, it's a significant amount of work to get where I am, I will, I will be more patient with an area. Um, cause I know there's days where bulls aren't talking and things can change. Uh, a lot of that depends on weather. You know, I've, I've been in the back country in Montana, even in Idaho and bulls are super hot. Rainstorm comes in for a day. I, I can't hear anything. Well, I don't want to move because it took me a day or two days to get here. So now it's like, okay, do I stay, do I stay patient and wait these elk out and wait till they start warming back up again? Or, you know, temperatures get hot again or another cow comes into heat. Um, I think that plays into it where the opposite answer is true. If I'm mobile, say I'm truck camping and, um, I do that a lot. You know, I don't think being 10 miles in the back country is all that much of a benefit. I think you can be truck camping and if something's not bugling, I'm covering ground. I mean, I'll cover so much oh you know my hunting area is infinitely bigger <laughs> now that i have you know this mobility of say a four-wheeler or a truck and there's i mean there's nothing against that and i, I don't want people to think that hunting is only backcountry extreme and uh so I, I think those are the two answers for me anyway if i'm in the backcountry i'll be more patient but if i have the ability to be mobile 100 i'm going to be mobile I'm covering ground i'm just looking for the you know elk that are talking um, and it could be, and it depends if you're hunting one elk or multiple elk or any elk. Um, so you'll have, say a Canyon, <clears throat> there's no hot cows in that group and maybe that bull's just been pressured. So he's not going to talk. I'm going to go to the next Canyon. I'm going to find one. So I'm going to cover as much as I can. And, and the same could be true if you were hunting on foot, you know, and you're working ground and say you're, you're a mile in and nothing's stalking, like just keep covering ground. You know, those elk are there, but if he doesn't want to play, he doesn't want to play. So, um, most of the time I say, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, just be mobile, be, be covering ground and looking for those elk that are going to talk because somewhere on the mountain, there's a hot cow and four bulls fighting over her. <laughs> um, so do you have any tips for, you know, say maybe it's, maybe it's a little bit later in the season, something like that. And, uh, the elk have, have been under a lot of pressure. Uh, any, any specific tips for dealing with elk that have been pressured a little bit more throughout the season? You know, this happens a lot in Idaho where I hunt, and by the end of the season, man, it feels like you bugle at them and they just want to run away. Or what happens is the to, to me is the you know the cows will be super or not responsive, but super alert, and they'll, they'll you know just be on high alert as you're trying to make your way in. Um, a lot of the times in late season in Idaho, if I can get a bull 
talking and you know get him fired up so say i bugle he bugles i'm gonna keep him talking for a little bit and just get him to get a little bit fired up get a little bit fired up but then i'm gonna shut up and try to make my move silent because i know if i get too close it just tells him that i'm close if he thinks i'm still back there um he'll keep talking so on those pressured elk what happens is you know they're expecting you to come in they're expecting something um and so when you call at them and you're super close that's what's going to happen. And so a lot of times in that late season, if, you know, things are just not going that way, I'll just try to put the stock on. I'll try to get him talking to where he's going to give me a location every once in a while. And I'll slip in silent. And sometimes he won't talk for five minutes and I have to just wait it out. But that's where that patient comes in, being patient comes in and, and just making the move on the herd and, and trying to, you know, know where they're going and cut them off and things like that. But one of the keys is to get him talking. And so, if he just answers once and I go barreling down in there, he may not talk again. But if I sit up there and get him talking, you know, for 20 minutes, an hour even, and all of a sudden now he's all, all excited, he's all worked up, and you get that bull worked up, he's just going to keep bugling and bugling and bugling. Now I have the ability to run down in there and make a move without even telling him that I'm close. All right, so is that, uh, in general, is uh, calling kind of your preferred uh, preferred method or – you know, it's funny. Uh, I mean, hands down, it used to be. It just depends. You know, anymore, I really obsess over chasing. Uh, you know, I'll pick one bull out, and I find a bull I want, I'll chase him. And so sometimes when that happens, you know, these bigger bulls, you know, you get an 8, 9, 10-year-old bull, and that game doesn't work as well. And so it just depends on the elk, I guess. Um, most of the time, I guess my preferred method is to call bulls. I love calling bulls. But if I can get away with not doing it, I, I will, you know, if, if I can slip in there and he's going to keep him, keep talking, then I will, you know, another, you know, tactic is just to have someone else keep him talking. Cause I know that he's not threatened. He doesn't, he doesn't expect anyone to be there. So I'll keep a guy on the ridge and I'm talking and I'll just move in. If I, if a bull's talking, I can usually get close. I don't know if I can get him killed every time, but I'll at least get close and, you know, have a cow spook away real good. That's uh, <laughs> generally how it works. So, speaking of calling, uh, I've had I had someone ask. Uh, he has got some serious uh, gag reflex issues, I guess, and can't <laughs> can't use a diaphragm call. And was curious if you could recommend uh, what alternatives to a diaphragm you would recommend. Who? I uh, I don't actually. <laughs> um, you know, I've I've had a read. I remember when I first got the first read I ever got. It must have been eight or nine and uh, I couldn't put that thing in my mouth and it was just like I'd want to throw up or choke on it It was just weird um and so my how I got over it is I I had that read all summer and like I literally if I tried to blow on it I about puke and so I just put it in my mouth and played with it had it in my mouth the whole time and and uh just got comfortable with it I I think it's a learned thing and uh anyone who says they can't call it the read just doesn't want to bad enough like you can <laughs> it's just like it's just a matter if you practice anything it's like saying i can't learn guitar i have zero musical ability but i 100 percent guarantee i can learn how to play a guitar if i really really wanted to um and so and the same thing is could be said for using an elk rate it's not hard it's pretty easy and if you notch out the time it's it's something you just learn you do and uh so anyone who's got you know oh, i can't use a read you just don't want to bad enough. And I would say, like, <laughs> learn to use a read. Just 100%. You, 
you can't be effective. Like, and you look at, again, it goes back to looking at this as a long-term game, right? If you want to be a good elk hunter, you tell me you can't learn in the next 10 to 20 years to be a good elk caller. <laughs> like, you have 10 years to do it. So it, to me, it's like you have to want too bad enough, but I think everyone should learn. If you really want to be good, just learn. Put, the, put a read in your mouth and play with it. Drive your wife, your girlfriend nuts until you figure it uh, You'll figure it out. And if you practice every day, and this is kind of not the greatest time to learn. I mean, it's going to be tough the week before. But, I mean, I've hunted with so many people that, okay, how do I use this thing again? It's like the week before season. It's, no, <laughs> this is not the time to learn. This is not something you just pick up. Um, you know, you can, you can cow call and stuff. Uh, a lot of the external, and I still use an external, like the Phelps um, Easy Estrus. I still carry that call with me all the time. Um, that's a great way to do it, just to cow call and stuff, um, which is good. I mean, you're never going to be a great hunter just using a latex bugle and, you know, a squeeze me or a, a easy estrus, like external call. But you could probably kill an elk. It just, you know, where do you want to be? Where do you want to be in the future? Do you want to be a great elk hunter? Or do you want to be a guy that goes on vacation in the elk woods? <laughs> I have to say, I've never actually, like, I mean, I, I don't, I've got a pretty decent gag reflex, uh, um, <laughs> but I've never actually had it tripped by the, a diaphragm call. And, I, you know, once again, maybe I'm just using them completely wrong. Like, I can, I, I, I'm not the best, but I can make some decent cow calls and the occasional decent bugle. Um, so maybe, I, but maybe I'm just like carrying it too far forward in my mouth. Like, but I've just never had an issue with it, like coming even close to anything that would kick my gag reflex into, into gear. So I don't, I, that's one I've never quite understood, but, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. Hmm. And I don't think you have to be the best caller in the world to kill elk by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. I think if you can master a couple cow calls, if you can just do a couple different cow calls and even a locate bugle, I mean, you're, you're head and shoulders above most people. Well, and that's, I mean, that's one thing that, that Corey says all the time, you know, I mean, the, the nine time world champion elk caller, he's like, keep it, keep it simple. You need to learn like three things and you can call an elk. No problem. Like if, uh, you know, you don't need to be, I, that's, that's the one thing I have to remind myself when I, cause I'll, I'll record, uh, I'll record myself, uh, practicing and I'll play it back just so I can, you know, get, get that feedback to myself and, and I'll get, I'll start nitpicking things and be like, Oh, I didn't get that, that perfect rise. Like I wanted to, or I didn't hit the high note the perfectly this time. And, um, I need to remind myself that, you know, the elk don't bugle perfectly <laughs> every time themselves. So I will say like the tones and the tactic or the, I guess the exact tones of the call aren't, aren't important, but I will say the emotion that you can portray through a call is important. So, you know, yeah, it's good to be able to locate and, you know, maybe a display bugle, but when you really want to get good at this, you have to be able to change emotion. And that's what it is, is like you have to escalate that emotion. And so instead of like if I had the same bugle repetitively, it doesn't it's like talking to Siri. You know what I mean? Like Siri has no emotion. <laughs> and so I think as much as you don't have to have the perfect bugle, I think you do need to be able to change the emotion or the inflection that you're portraying as an elk so that way you can escalate the you know escalate things as you go so no robotic uh 
Do 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 do. Um. So, uh, how uh, how much do you call when you're out in the field? Mm, that's a great question. Some days a lot, most days a lot. I mean, like when I'm locating, and it depends on what I'm doing. Like, if I have a bull or if I don't have a bull. So when I'm when I don't have a bull, like, and I'm trying to find something all the time. I'm locating all the time, uh, just repeatedly until I can figure out what's going on and that's just my eyes you know when you're in hunting in thick timber like you can't see anything and so i'm just trying to figure out what's going on and and i'll throw locates just non-stop until i figure it out and you know for the most part i do call quite a bit until i get you know into close and and then i you know change it up a little bit but as far as trying to find elk yeah if you're in the woods you don't know where elk are bugle bugle all night bugle all day like just <laughs> keep locating until you find them all right. Yeah, it's uh, uh one of my favorite stories is uh the one the one Corey tells about uh he comes back to his car after a day <laughs> of hunting and sees the note on his windshield. Uh it's you know, if you're if you're the guy up on that ridge, you bugle way too much. Yeah. Um, I actually had so I have a similar story to that but even better. So we were in this canyon one time and uh it was super early season and one night, I remember we, we touched off a bugle, and these bulls started just going nuts. And we were following them around, bugling, couldn't catch up to them. And then the next day, we get back in there, and, and we realized that, like, the calling was doing nothing. These bull, bulls were just talking. And so literally, I think it was like 6.30 at night, we bugle once, and all of a sudden, the you know, four or five bulls start cracking off, just going nuts. We never bugled. We bugled the one time to get them started, and we were just chasing bugles. We were literally <laughs> just trying to close the distance on bulls. And uh, the next morning, we actually ended up sticking a bull that night. And the next morning, we go into pack stuff out, and, uh, and we run at this old-timer. And, man, he chewed our ass, like, just up and down <laughs> about calling so much. And I really wanted to say something, but I didn't want to tell him that, no, there was five bulls in here bugling. So I'm like, oh, sorry about that. Yep. <laughs> won't happen again. Yep. We, it just, I bit my lip so hard. Oh, it was hilarious. This guy just chewed our ass. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> that would be, that would be very difficult to be like, oh, <laughs> oh, really? That's what you think. <laughs> well, let me tell yeah. you something. Yeah. So, uh, when you're in, uh, especially because I know you like to to hunt in some of the the more rugged terrain and thick timber, um, how do you, you know, wind is always number one. You know, always pay attention to the wind. That's if I've learned anything from listening to, you know, all these podcasts, uh, always pay attention to the wind. But how do you, in the thicker timber and in, like, bedding areas, uh, are there any... Any uh, strategies for playing the wind from uh, avoiding getting winded? Um. Yeah, I think it boils down to timing. I think the one of the mistakes I used to make and a lot of people make is, you know, they rush into a bedding area at 9 or 10 when the wind's just swirling like crazy. When there's no difference in you going in at nine or 8 or 9, 9 or 10, whatever you want to call it, and waiting till, you know, those thermals settle. And I think when you hit that midday, you know, those thermals are more consistent or the wind's more consistent, that's when you wait. And it's just that being patient and waiting for the moment um, to for things to be in the right 
you know, all those stars to align. And, you know, like, you know, you want to run in there and get it done. It, so many people do this, you know, you, you run in, you get an elk bugling first thing in the morning and he's moving to his bedding area. <laughs> You're falling him up the mountain, bugling your head off. Well, what's, what's happening, you know, is he's waiting for you to show up. He's on alert. The cows are on alert because you just followed him to his bedding area and he's going to, he's going to play the wind to figure that out. And so, so many guys will rush into a situation as they follow a bull into a bedding area and then try to call him in. Whereas if you wait, let him relax, let him, let his, get his guard down and then wait for the thermals, you can usually slip in there and make a big difference. You know, that will make a big difference on, on how that situation pans out. Nice. So do you make any other, uh, uh, preparations for scent? You know, wind will always be number one, but, uh. Do you do anything like with your camo or anything like that beforehand? Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question. It goes back and forth. And I look at, again, it depends on where I am, but I look at it like it doesn't, I don't think it hurts to go the extra mile. So if keeping my gear in a scent bag and scenting it down and, and having two sets of camo and, and running, you know, baking soda on, or yeah, baking soda on in a set and you switch them out every day such a little, little thing that, you know, if it gives me 1%, it gives me a half second in that situation, it's worth it to me. Having said that, I don't pack two packs, two sets of camo into the back country. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's just depends on the situation. If I'm truck camping, like, you know, for early season this year, I'll be, I'll be on a truck camp and I'll be hiking in everywhere. In that situation, I'm going to go the extra mile. I'm going to scent down every day and I'm going to keep my, my bat or my camo in a, you know, in a scent free bag and I'm going to switch it out every day and I'm going to take that one extra step. It's so easy. You know, it's not hard. And in that situation, it's like, I can do it now late season. I'm going two weeks solo into the back country in Montana um, with horses and I don't, I just won't worry about it. And it's, it's not worth packing scent bottles in there and all that good stuff and trying to, trying to go that route. So in that situation, I'll have to rely on the wind more. So that's kind of my, where I stand on it, I guess. All right. Um, had a couple people ask about, uh, the pack out. What is, uh, what what should they expect? You know, you get an elk, you, uh, you, you, you field prep it, uh, you quarter it. Um, what's, uh, what, what should they be concerned about with the pack out? <laughs> Is other there than, beer at the top? <laughs> yeah. Other than, other than the pack out just being miserable. <laughs> You know, I think that this is something that so many guys have so much fear over. It's funny to me, especially solo hunting. You're going to find out when you kill an elk that, see, I put the confidence in you right there. I I like that. I like that one. (laughs) I caught it. You're going to see that, you know, it hits the ground. You're like, what do I do now? And you just take it step by step, man. I mean, like I've, I've had solo packs out. With when I didn't even have a a pack board, it was just all on my shoulders because I didn't have a pack board with me. And I was like, (laughs) my truck's you know, four hours away, screw it. I'm just going to pack it up this mountain and, and be done with it. Um, and so it's just one step at a time. It's so, it's just basics. Like it's just, you know, we like to overthink it and like, Oh, I need this special pack. The reality is it's 50 to a 75 pounds leg, you know, like you could throw it over your shoulder and hike up the 
mountain and, and get it done. And, you know, I think it's, you know, so many people get overwhelmed sitting on the ground there, but enjoy it. Like, it's just fun. It's just work, you know, like, and it's going to be a great story. And I've been in, you know, been in that situation. Like, oh man, by myself, what am I going to do now? And it's just, <laughs> it's not hard to break down an elk by yourself. It's, you know, it takes a little bit longer to pack it out, but it's 100% doable. And you just one foot in front of the other and you just keep going and, until it's done and you know i don't know i don't i don't worry about it too much and i don't think anyone should i don't i don't think that it's a matter of you know don't go oh i can't get an elk out by myself you know this first weeks of season here are going to be probably 100 degrees that's something to think about you know like say you put a put an elk down on the ground like man it's so freaking hot okay where can i get this meat to that's going to be cool um especially solo it's going to take you a long time to get bull out so it's, it's just a matter of, you know, it's where do I get this elk where it's going to be cool? How do I get it there? And, you know, what's the best option? So I get it in the creek bottom or even just a drainage or something, get it off the ground and on a pile of sticks so it's aired, aired out and things like that. Um, and if that takes extra work, if I got to hike a quarter mile down into a drainage to drop my elk and just to hike it back out three miles, then that's fine. That's what has to happen because I know it's, you know, like that little bit of work here is going to save all of this meat. Um, and so just one foot in front of the other, you know, guys like to talk about being in the best shape of your life. You can still do it. You can pack 50 pounds out at a time and get it done. If it takes five trips, I don't think you need to take, you know, manly man, 150 pound packs and try to pack out. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've tried that when you're like, Oh, I can get this in two or three trips and it just kills you. And it, it's a matter of, I think you can save yourself a lot of energy if you just take a little bit smaller packs and an extra trip. It's, it, I don't know. <laughs> to me, it's common sense, but everyone wants to seem to see how heavy they can make their pack to get out of there. Well, I mean, you know, I always, I always in my mind, I liken it to, to that moment when you, you bring groceries home from the grocery store and you're looking at it in the car and you're like, I can hang all of these groceries from my arms and make yeah. one trip. <laughs> it's 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 a man thing, you know. You, you, oh, for sure. You sit there, you lose feeling in your fingers because you've got so many grocery bags hanging from them. But you only had to make one trip from the car, you know. And it's, it's <laughs> oh, so it's like you know, I'll, I'll assimilate it to uh, I'm moving right now, and so you look at moving, and you're like, oh my god, there's so much stuff. How do I even? what am I going to do? But when you like break it down room by room, right. Or this by this, and, and you start moving this room out and okay. And then you move this room out. It's the same thing. Like when you look at an elk, like, Oh my God. But if you looked at it and said that, okay, here's a 50 pound front shoulder, right? That's easy. Could you pack that back to your truck? Okay. Repeat that seven times or whatever it takes. You know, like anyone could pack out an elk time is the only issue is if it's going to be too hot but i think there's a lot of ways to kind of mitigate that as well so um it's if you just break it down you know and piece by piece then it's then it's good you know debone the meat take it you know take the time to do that um so i don't know just it's breaking it down into smaller achievable pieces so speaking of kind of keeping the meat cool i've always wondered does that you know, I mean, I, I, the one tip I hear a lot of is, you know, find a find a nice deep creek and, uh, you know, put the meat in there, throw some rocks on top uh, to keep it cool. Does that what kind of a does that have any effect on the meat? I was just always curious about that. You know, you throw it in the game bags, you drop it in the water. Uh, is there any like additional care that should be taken uh, to protect the meat when you drop it in there? 
Oh yeah. Like you're talking about put it in a river. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, you're going to want, so what's going to happen? You don't want that meat in just water. That's not going to be good for it. Um, so what guys are going to do is going to put, put trash bags. And so say you had four, uh, contractor bags and you duct take the top of them, squeeze the air out. And then that's what you do. The, the, what you want to make sure though, is if you're going to do that, if you're going to submerge that stuff in water, you're going to want to make sure that's cooled down and already. So you're going to want to hang that for a little bit and like, at least get it from body temperature to ambient temperature. So say it's 70 degrees outside, you're going to get, you know, your obviously your, your elk when it's alive is a lot warmer. And so as it cools down to, to ambient temperature, then you can go down, but you don't want to put it in a plastic bag. If you, you know, the elk meets 98 degrees, I don't even know what the body temperature of an elk is, but <laughs> you know, say it's uh, 98 degrees, you know, you're not going to put it in a bag cause it's just going to hold that heat in. Um, and so it, it just, yeah, I mean, you could do that very well. I think, Another way to do it is just to, you know, quarter it out, get it hung up or at least resting on some brush, you know, so it's off the ground. Um, it's getting airflow all around it and keep track of like cold areas. Like I've been hunting and, uh, you know, you'll go through this one area and like, man, it's freezing in here. And there's just pockets like that in the woods that sometimes it's 10 degrees colder. And you're like, man, that's a cold spot. Keep mental note of that because when you kill an elk, you're like, oh man, I could get up to that one draw over there. That's freaking super cold down and then drop your meat right there and just put it all up on a log. And then now you just buys you a little bit more time to get that packed out. So have you had, uh, had any experiences with, uh, other, uh, other occupants of the woods, uh, visiting your, <laughs> visiting your meat, uh, while you're packing out? I haven't, you know, knock on wood, uh, not yet anyway. So, I mean, I've been pretty lucky. I've had enough run in with, with Grizz that I don't really care for them but uh i have not had them try to take my lunch so to speak uh yet so hopefully it stays that way well i'm uh i'm heading up into uh not not right on the montana border but i'm i'm heading up into some decent country grizz country uh i pretty much I pretty much just said I uh, my first unit was sold out, which actually kind of I think turned out to be a, a blessing in disguise. Because the more I look at the unit I'm going to now, I I see a lot more opportunity and a lot fewer hunters. Mm-hmm. But I pretty much just said I'm like, you know what? Screw it! I don't want to deal with it. I threw up my hands. I'm like, I'm going to Grizz Country. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, there's not going to be any hunters there. Won't be sold out. I'll be good. Um, but I really. I really appreciated the episode you did. Um, I, I, I can't remember the name of the guest, but you did an episode fairly recently on dealing with bears. That, oh, with uh, Kevin Wilson, yeah. Yeah, I really liked that. I, I listened to it twice. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was hiking, albeit it also had me sitting there. I'm like, I've never once seen a bear. I don't think there are any bears within 10 miles of me, but I'm like on my hike in the middle of the city. I'm like looking around. I'm like, okay, there's nothing. <laughs> It's interesting hunting in uh, in grizzly country, you know, and I'm not like I'm. There's guys out there that do a lot more of it and a lot more dangerous stuff than I do. Um, but it's interesting because when you're hunting, and you're not the top predator. It leaves this like little bit of fear, you know, in you in you. And and I think I miss it when I'm not hunting in there. And I'll you know I'll hunt in Oregon. And it's just black bears, and I I kind of miss that little bit of fear. I don't know. I'm, Maybe I'm not the smartest guy in the world <laughs> with grizzlies, but yeah, I, I enjoy it, um, to an extent, you know, it's, uh, keeps you on your toes and, and, uh, definitely less people in grizzly country, but yeah, I mean, there's also like, there's, 
very legit downsides to, to hunting in grizz country, you know, and I think, you know, for yourself, you know, make sure like you kill an elk, you know, don't go gutless method, get, get the guts out and put that guts away from everything else and kind of give yourself a warning system. And, and hopefully, you know, you're in an area that has enough visibility you can see around you and, and, uh, you know, get your clothes spread out over that stuff, you know, get your human scent as much as you can. For the most part, those bears are going to be scared of you, you know, are, are going to try to avoid trouble unless it's a particular bear. So, you know, you know, urinate all over around it and try to cover that area with your as much human scent <laughs> as you can. And, and if you're going to leave, you know, like leave a hoodie there or something, like cover it with that just to make sure you're trying to cover that scent as best you can. And that's another situation guys will, and I've never done this, but guys will, you know, store their meat bags, uh, or I guess they're, when they pack in their meat, you know, throw it in a garbage bag just to limit that scent and try to keep it off your pack the best you can. Cause you don't really want, you know, your pack covered in blood and things like that for the rest of the trip. It's something to be cognizant of. I don't think anybody should fear it. And I think it's something, I think it's something they should experience, you know, not being the top predator in the world. You know, it's, it's I kind of know what you mean. Like once again, I haven't been out there, so I might I may change my tune in about in about a month. But uh, you know, there's something exciting about you know. It's like almost going. It's almost like that that feeling you get when you go on a roller coaster. You know, <laughs> yeah. You're like it's 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 that excitement, that little bit of fear. Um, you know, it's it's definitely something to to look forward to. Just yeah, and a reminder that you're not always the always the top of the food chain in the in the forest <laughs> yeah it's uh it's pretty fun i yeah that your first elk and you're going into grace country should be fun you know i figured i every All you know in, it's, right? everything else will be a cakewalk if i you know if i succeed in this uh you know i'm i'm doing a, a solo diy over-the-counter archery elk hunt in in fairly fairly decent grizz country um <laughs> shoot everything else everything else is cake after this right <laughs> yeah that's right that'll be good um one thing i've always been curious about you know uh there's lots of notes on kind of like how to when you're when you're planning on going out finding spots you know you look for bedding areas you look for water you look for feeding areas and kind of where those all you know that triangle where they're all located compared to that you know if i'm backpacking in where do I want to set up camp in relation to that? How far away do I want to be from those those areas, things like that? That's a good question. I don't think a lot of people think about, but I, w- I would definitely stay a little bit away from it. Um, so anytime anytime I think about camps, usually I'm, I'm focused around water. Uh, you know, with elk country, you usually have the ability to camp along water somewhere. And uh, just making sure that you're at least, I would say you know, a couple hundred yards, at least maybe 500 yards away from what you think is solid elk country. Having said that, I mean, I've, I've hunted elk right out of camp. And, uh, so as long as you're not in a travel corridor or you're not in an area that's just pumping, you know, uh, scent into a, a basin or into a, any kind of area where the elk are kind of holding up or that's their main area, uh, you're doing, you'd be fine. Um, I don't think it's a huge concern. Um, but again, it's like, you know, make your camp near water because that's the, it's going to have to pack water. You're going to have to deal with water. So, um, you know, along your creek, bottom, you know, try to 
I always like to stay in a more visible area, especially in Greece country. You know, <laughs> like I don't <laughs> don't like having stumble in the night trying to pee and there's a grizz, you know, between your tent and, and, and <laughs> you just hear that fireplace. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, exactly. my pants are down right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't uh, have to take a dump anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, man. Um, well, that's, uh, that's the majority of the questions I got. Uh, any, uh, any final uh, tips or thoughts for folks that might be uh... – oh, actually, you know what? I did forget one. I know it's – and it's a question you always like to ask, so I'm going to turn it around. Uh, oh. What is uh... – what is your one of your favorite pieces of gear that that you like to take out? Uh, say you're going out on a DIY hunt. What's one of your favorite pieces of gear? And then, as you always like to ask, uh, what's your what's your favorite for under a hundred that you would uh, <laughs> that you would like to bring out? Uh, well, it depends on where I'm at. I think uh, you know, like a lot of my hunts, I do think that Onyx Maps, like one of the best tools under a hundred dollars you can get. But it's kind of like a cheating tool because it's not really a tool. Um, I would say. <laughs> Man, this is good. I, I feel like I need to have an original answer, even though I've heard them all on the podcast. Um, so to be original, I will say Windshaker is probably the most important, you know, cheapo thing you can have. But to keep it original, um, and I haven't done this in a couple of years, but I used to run a piece of yarn off my stabilizer. And all that was was like a Windshaker in the last minute, you know, so you, when you, we don't have to pull out your wind checker, your yarn's just like, there's just a strip of yarn hanging off the end of your stabilizer kind of gets you an idea. Just that's what I'm going to be original. Other than that, I would say, you know, four bottles of wind checker, I think <laughs> is uh, a good way to go. I just recently, I picked up uh, a Cirrus wind checker. It's like, it's basically like a handheld vape. Mm -hmm. um, and so far it's been, you know, I, I've taken it out camping with me and played with it and it's uh it's USB rechargeable and it comes with these teeny little uh just cartridges and they're good for thousands and thousands of of puffs and it's super super lightweight and it's been absolutely bulletproof so far um uh it's it's obviously a little bit heavier than a bottle of wind checker but also you don't need to carry four or five bottles or a bottle <laughs> yeah. and a bunch of refills and um, how much, how long do you think it would last? I'm curious. Uh, I think they give you a number. I'd have to, I'd have to look, they give you a number of like puffs on their, on their website. And then the, uh, I think the time that the, uh, that the charge lasts, but I've, uh, I took it out on like a three day trip to Joshua tree and then, uh, I've taken it, I've taken it a bunch of places and just played with it. You know, every so often I'll get bored and just like sit in my apartment and like start puffing it and like laugh at the smoke or whatever, you know, um, you, where'd you get it? Is it on Amazon? Uh, I think they have them on Amazon and they're also, uh, just, I think you can just buy them off their website, but I'm 90% oh, well. sure it's on Amazon. Uh, but it's. It's really cool and it fits perfectly in my in the top of my uh my chest rig. Uh I've got like an Alaska Guide Creations chest rig and in that like elastic part on the top. Yeah. Slips right in there. It's perfect. Um the other upside of that is you don't take off running with the top of the bottle still open and get somewhere and realize you're covered in like oh. purple chalk. You're like half my bottle's gone. Oh. <laughs> I mean, not that I've ever done that. That would be stupid. But of course I know a not. Guy. 
<laughs> we have all we've all got that friend, right? <laughs> oh man. So, um you run the podcast. Uh we're you know, we're kind of focusing on elk hunting. Do you have any if if somebody hasn't listened to the Rich Outdoors podcast yet, uh what would be some good episodes uh, relating to elk hunting that they should they should start with? Ooh, that's a good one. Um I would say like any all the episodes with Phelps, Phelps and I you know, have had great conversations over the year, a couple of years now. Um, any conversation with Jason's awesome. Um, some good intel there. You know, Zach Bohe's uh, top, I think we did one was like becoming the 10% of elk, DIY elk hunters. I think that's a great episode. I've recommended it a lot. And then the uh, elk nut episode that we just did is ridiculously good it's uh so much great content i haven't heard it yet but man it's uh, i i literally did the podcast and it was like i need to listen to that again and take notes like <laughs> i was there and i need i need to listen to this again i had i haven't gotten to listen to it yet it's actually it's oh, next dude. on my list and uh uh one of one of my previous guests mike merrill who's kind of become a good buddy of mine he wrote me and he's like you have to listen to this episode i've written i've listened to it three times already in in a two day period, <laughs> it's, a, it's a three hour podcast, and I guarantee if you li- like everyone who's texting me is like I had to listen to that three times. Like holy crap! <laughs> no, it's definitely um, I'm a bit, I'm gonna hop in the car and drive out to the archery range after this, and so it's the the first one that's going on. Um, so I need to I need to get on that. I have a feeling I'll be. I'll be sitting in the car in the parking lot taking some notes. Not <laughs> Dude, text me because like after you listen to this, you, I, I can't wait to get your text message. It's going to be like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, you know, we've talked a little bit about it. My podcast is kind of geared towards people uh, who are new to hunting uh, or maybe, you know, like me from the city and, and kind of just getting into it or uh, feel intimidated. It's just there's so much to learn and and so much to figure out before I do this. Uh, what what advice would you give someone like that? What kind of final final words of wisdom would you have for that person? Hmm, man, such good questions. I would say don't get overwhelmed in the bulk of information and take it little by little. Um, I think it goes back to like if you want to be great at this or you want to be good at this or do this, you want to make this a part of your life. Get a taste. Um, see if you like it, you will, I'm sure, but take it little bits at a time. Don't get overwhelmed by the copious amounts of information and the copious amounts of stuff you need. And like any, anything you do, like you don't care if it's snowboarding or skiing or like there's so like you could look at, I don't know, say skiing and the amount of gear, backpack, you know, rock climbing and all the gear that goes into it. It's very overwhelming, but in a short amount of time, it all becomes very fluent and you become within it. And, and I think it just taking it little by little and not getting overwhelmed by the, you know, everything you need to know and get out there. Like, I don't think, I think so many people try to put so much into it and it's not that complicated. I mean, it's just really not. And I think if you just say, you know, you could take what you have. I get this a lot from guys, climbers, backpackers. Uh, my buddy Travis Macy is like, you know, what do I need? What do I need? I was like, dude, you have everything. You have everything you need. To, like, you don't need anything special to just go do it slowly like it took me 20 years to have the gear i have and i mean that's no joke and i you could do it with anything i don't i don't think people i think people get overwhelmed with the amount of information and amount of gear they need and i think if you just start with what you have and a couple little things 
it'll you'll get it over time. You'll get the knowledge, you get the gear, and you'll get the experience and the confidence. And it just all comes with the time. And take it slow. That's awesome. Um, you know, our what is it? Our granddads used to hunt with yeah, without exactly. the fanciest camo and all these tens, and they probably got it done a lot more than uh, than any of us did or will. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's blue jeans and flannel. Like it's, it just doesn't take much, and uh, you know, just enjoy it. Be here now, as I like to say. Like, don't get wrapped around the axle about all the other stuff that's around it, and just enjoy time in the woods, and uh, it'll all come. <laughs> um. So, if people wanted to find the podcast and follow all of Cody Rich's adventures online, <laughs> uh, where where are we finding you? Where's the best place to check you out online? Uh, uh, the rich outdoors is the podcast. It's on everything else. I mean, uh, iTunes, SoundCloud, I don't know, Stitcher and, uh, Instagram, the rich outdoors, Snapchat, same thing. All my handles, the rich outdoors, whatever you guys want to follow me on, hit me up, <laughs> ask questions. I'm just me. Um, if anybody's got questions, 100%, just ask me, I'll try to answer them the best I can. <laughs> no promises, no promises though. Awesome. Well, I'll link uh, I'll link to all those on the show notes page. That'll be at livingcountryinthecity.com slash thirty three. And I uh, every time I every time I say an episode number, I'm still surprised I got past two or three. But uh, man, dude, that's I, awesome. I, like it's it does. It's like a, it's a lot of work in the beginning, and like just getting it all organized. And so I'm pumped, man. I I remember like when I was. 20 30 podcasts in i was like oh man you know like so many and now it's to think it's freaking hard I, I remember 100 i blew my mind when it was at 100 and then now it's like uh, 160 or 70 something and it's it just it time flies man and it's like i you're gonna have a lot of fun doing it i'm super excited to kind of see your journey and see you document the journey and the best part is is like your kids or you know people your kids will be able to look back and be like oh this is the journey you know what i mean and or anybody anybody's kids could be like oh look at this guy in his journey to like start hunting and that's so cool awesome well thank you so much for hopping on the podcast i appreciate you taking the time and uh best of luck with your season this year man likewise man likewise all right, y'all, that'll do it for episode 33 of Living Country in the City. Y'all can check out all the links we talked about in today's episode by visiting the show notes page at livingcountryinthecity.com slash 33. Now, if y'all haven't done so already, make sure you search for the Rich Outdoors podcast on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It is honestly one of the most content-packed hunting podcasts out there, and I promise you won't regret it. Now, if you all enjoyed this podcast, please help support it by subscribing and leaving a quick rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher. It's easy to do and helps a ton to improve the podcast visibility. But in the meantime, keep it country, y'all. Thank y'all for listening to Living Country in the City. Get show notes and check out the blog, product reviews, events, and more at livingcountryinthecity.com. You are listening to Living Country in the City, episode 33. Awesome. See, and you got the podcast voice down. It's perfect. <laughs> um, it's like I've done it 175 times. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs>